Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Michael Bryant. He's the professional unstucker because he's an executive coach that's going to help you get unstuck in your business. What I love about Michael is he's been in business for actually almost 40 years with his business, CTS Consulting. He has so many incredible insights in business, so many incredible insights in leadership. You're going to love today's episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, you're checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. I got a great guest with us today, Michael Bryant, who he's been running a consulting company for over 40 years. He's based out of Baltimore. He's the man when it comes to working his magic with helping your organization go to the next level. Also, on top of that, he's someone who you want to stay on his good side because he is an avid triathlete. He's also a six-time Ironman finisher. Michael, great to have you here today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm excited. Now, I, I don't know which way to go here. I don't know if I should. I'm, I'm so curious because, you know, the consulting industry, as a consultant myself, it is uh, saturated with people who don't have a lot of experience and who haven't been in business very long. You're coming at it with 40 years of experience. So already I know you must have just a, a plethora of so much good information and good advice. But on the other hand, man, I'm so curious about these Ironman finishes. This is so unique about you. Uh, I'll let you take a stab at whichever topic you want to dive into first. Well, I, I can kind of merge them together because um, when, when I started this business, so, I, so just very quickly, so my, um, um, I have an, an athletic background. I was a, a high school and collegiate wrestler. And my goal all along, I sort of had myself tracked that I was going to uh, become a high school history teacher and um, a wrestling coach. And so I actually, I went, to a, I went to a school where I was able to compete at a, at a very high level in wrestling, but they also had a great education department. So I kind of was able to check both boxes off. And I got, in, I got into teaching. Unfortunately, I started at an all-girls school. So the wrestling piece just sort of, that immediately evaporated. <laughs> uh, but what happened was, you know, you have these moments, these epiphanies in your life. Well, mine came at the age of 26. I'm standing up in front of a group of 14-year-old girls at 8 o'clock in the morning. They kind of look like, you know, the walking dead kind of just sitting at their <laughs> desk. I'm sitting there pontificating about the Missouri Compromise. And this little voice came into my head and it said, I don't know what I'm going to be doing when I'm 40, but it's not going to be this. Mm. And that sort of started me on this sort of other path. So I've been sort of tracked in one direction, which a lot of times people are. You know, people, people have an idea of what they want to do. You know, they go to school to do something. They try it out. Maybe it, it doesn't fit. And then they don't know what to do next. Well, I, I was kind of there. So as fate would have it, I sort of began doing some research into, just into the career development field because I was trying to figure out for myself what I would do. And, and 
And the analogy I've drawn is, suppose you had an interest in psychology and you heard about this guy, Sigmund Freud, but you didn't know he was Sigmund Freud. You just heard he was this guy. You found out later who he was. I ended up studying with the Freuds of my field, but it was just dumb luck. Hmm. I got just on fire about this. And I was like, holy smokes, you can actually figure out what you want to do life with your life and you can direct it there. That's amazing. I've, I've got to go do some of this in my own life and I got to see if I can help other people. So I did like high school students. So what I did is I created and piloted programs to help high school students figure out what they wanted to do when they got out of high school. And I did that for a couple of years, but I found out that there just wasn't enough immediacy with that age group. So, you know, when you're 16, you're immortal and the future is 500 years away. And, you know, and so I wanted people whose attention I could get a, a little bit faster than that, because I figured out if what you do next with your life, if that's not going to get your attention, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. And so um, I took a stab at starting the business the first time in 1976. I called it Brian Educational Services. It was a spectacular flop. Crashed and burned <laughs> after four months. It was it was awesome. It wasn't like a false cue or a misstart. It was like a, you know, it just kind of like, yeah. just like flamed out. So I said, okay, you need to spend time getting better at what you want to do. So I created jobs for myself in organizations where I would do basically consulting and program development. I already knew how to do program development because I'm an educator. So that mm-hmm. really wasn't difficult to do. And I decided after a couple of years, I said, you know, you just this isn't going to work. Because I found out as I was working with people, I didn't like work for somebody. I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it. I mean, I wasn't incorrigible. I was just miserable. So I said, you know what? You're unemployable. You, you got you got to find out something to do. And it's not going to be working for somebody else because every time you get unhappy, you're just going to quit. So mm-hmm. you can't do that forever. So I said, okay, let's relaunch it. So I relaunched it the second time and I called it Career Transition Services because that's primarily what I was doing. And it took off. Mm. And what I began doing was working with individuals and I started doing some some um, corporate outplacement. So when you're parting companies with somebody, when they're either being laid off or fired, they would come see me because I, that's it's the same kind of skills I would use as an individual. I'd use somebody in an organization. And what began to happen is I can remember a session with a client and he said, I'm having a problem because... I want to look for something to do, but I work all day. I don't know how to manage the time. I said, oh, that's okay. I'll just learn about time management. I'm a teacher. I can teach myself. And I also thought, you know, you run this business by yourself. So you probably could use this yourself. And I'm like, okay, well, that'd be like kind of double cool. I'll learn how to, to do it. I'll use it for myself, and I can use it to help other people. So the next thing you know, now I'm doing some time management consulting. Um, and then I, as I was doing that, I said, you know what? I've talked to these people that are having trouble managing time. I don't think that's the issue. I think they don't communicate well. well. We'll go learn about that. So one thing began to stack on top of another, began to stack on top of another. And the next thing you know, I'm a full service consulting business. Well, career transition services, it doesn't make any sense anymore. It's too limiting. So people would be, would refer to the, at all the time by its initial CTS. It's not called CTS Consulting because that's how people think of it anyway. And so at that point, it began to develop and has developed up to this point into what I call an interest-driven business. 
I, I'm, I'm, you know, you're talking to the entire organization right now. I brought them all in here for you today. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, this is so important. Everybody's attending right now. I told everybody to stop what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop <laughs> everything. Yeah, no here. excuses. Everyone in the meeting yeah, room. Exactly. All hands on deck. <laughs> so, so what began to happen is I said, you know, if I'm going to do this every day, because I really like it, and I need to be entertained and amused. I need to find things that are interesting because I'm going to spend my day doing this stuff. So I said, okay. I'm going to make a little shift here. My goal is not going to be to have a, a successful career. My goal is going to be to have an effective life, that I want my life to work, and work's going to be a part of it. So I began to look at my life, and I said, well, my life kind of has four or five different buckets. Um, there's a learning piece. There's a relationship piece. There's a playing piece. There's a working piece. There's a spiritual piece. And I want all these things to sort of have their time, not 20% a piece, but whatever that is I needed to do. So the other thing I decided was one of my rules is if I wasn't in the meeting when you made the rule, I don't know if it's my rule. I'm not, I'm not anti-rule. I mean, I stop on red and go on green. But one of my first rules I heard about was working five days a week. I thought, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Why would you <laughs> work? People used to work seven, then they work six and a half, then they work five and they work five. I said, I'm just going to be like a trendsetter. And I said, you know what? I think three and a half or four. That'd probably work because I have stuff to do. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got stuff to do. So this, so we're going to make it three and a half or you're four. A, you're a millennial, man. You're a millennial way <laughs> I was before I even knew I was. Yeah, one. seriously. <laughs> and was working remote before they even had it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, let me, let me pause you just for a second because this is interesting to, to listen to because it feels like just, just from the start, you never really fell into, I guess, the normative work culture. And, right. and also, I think what's really interesting about you is, you know, you're talking about, it's sort of like catching these glimpses of what you want to be doing and being like, okay, I'm going to go do that. Rather than it feels like a lot of people are, maybe trapped is too strong of a word, but like going back to the start of your story, you're in the classroom, at which I, I was a high school teacher myself, so I can, I can empathize a little bit. You're in the classroom, you have like sort of this, this, this um, you know, moment of clarity of like... Yeah okay, I don't really want to do this. This isn't for me. But, but I think that's where it's a little interesting because that's where your story diverges into, I did this, then I was like, okay, I'm going to do time management. And it's, it's as I talk to people who've been successful in entrepreneurship, it's funny how often that's the theme of, it's sort of the ride takes them and it's like, okay, yeah, I'll go this way. And they kind of let those circumstances um, really direct where they're going versus going back to that point where you had that decision to make it feels like the majority of people have that stroke of, I don't like this, but yet they don't do anything about it. Right. They get, right. They're stuck in it. Right. It, because we go as, as far as our fears will let us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, that's what happens. Yeah. It's that, like the person who wants, the, I hate my job, but what if I can't find a new one? What right. if I, you know, right. I think you're they, so right. They begin to use what I call the death words. Practical, realistic, doable, feasible. Those uh, are the nonsense words. They don't make any sense. What is feasible? Whatever somebody does. Hmm, I mean, yeah. is it practical? Well, if you do it, I mean, you know, is, is, is my life highly impractical? Not to me, because mm -hmm. my life, you know. And so I, I've always, it, it's very interesting because um, when I first started in my field, um, so I have this background, and, and you know, and people are like, what's your background? Well, first of all, most people don't care. 
No, with yeah, agree. Yeah. If you can solve a problem, meet a need, make somebody money or save somebody money, they don't care. Yeah. And, and just to add on that, I was on a call with someone the other day who was interviewing me and they said, well, I mean, do you, what, what's even your, your credentials? What's your certifications? And I said, here's what I'll tell you. Not a single client has ever asked me, nor have they ever cared. Exactly. And she was like, that, that can't be true. And I said, no, it is true. Now, in fact, I have about $20,000 worth of certifications. <laughs> no one's ever cared. No one's ever asked. I, I think exactly what you just said is spot on. Yeah. But right. it's interesting I mean, how we, we bottleneck ourselves though behind, oh, I don't have that certification. Oh, I don't have, right. my circumstances aren't what I want them to be. Therefore, it can't work. Yes. No matter what you do and no matter how well you do it, your best is always going to be good enough for somebody and not good enough for somebody else. And so what? Yeah. There's, you know, there's an adage in sales that I love. It's called SWSWSW, which stands for some will, some won't, so mm. won't. I love that. I, I, it's, I think it's great. And it's sort of like, because the bottom line is this, somebody really can't, generally speaking, somebody can't really um, like or dislike me because they don't know me. Mm-hmm. They know things about me, but they don't really know me. I mean, my wife knows me, but they don't know me. You know, ninety-five percent of our personal stuff's not on display. You know, you know, work work is not an encounter group. That would like you don't really want to know when you go into work, like how their weekend really was. How was your weekend? Well, oh, my wife worked out. No, no, that's not how you doing. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So we have these questions. So what happens is part of what is going on is that we're we're sort of culturized to believe that there's two kind of people. There's ordinary and extraordinary people. So the ordinary people, they're the ones just, just kind of bumping the walls and kind of go through life. And, you know, they're the ones that kind of, you know, keep the trains running on time. And, you know, they're like just like that. And then we have like the wild people, like the amazing people. And if I had like their life, if I had like their money and their last name or wow. their parents or their connections or their intelligence or their athletic ability, me too, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is every once in a while, this gets messed up because somebody that we knew as ordinary does something extraordinary. Now we're in trouble. So we simply say to ourselves, oh, I just misjudged them. I had them like in the wrong pile. No, they're, they're really extraordinary because if they're not, then that means we can all do our extraordinary things. And mm. why am I not doing mine? And that just hits a little bit too close to home. And the other thing that kind of adds to this is as we age developmentally, we become more risk averse because we're, we've had failure and we've had pain and we don't want it. So one of the things that I decided was that if I was going to really be honest to people, because, you know, I, I'm going to people and, and, you know, I'm asking questions like if you knew success was certain absolutely certain what would you attempt what, what would you go after if you knew that you could do it what would you go after if it was just right what would it look like that's to get out of those limiting sort of beliefs because the largest credibility problem people have is not with other people it's with themselves hmm. so you know they have a conversation in my head you know i've had it I'm, I'm going to do this. Little voice goes, no, they're not. They, they <laughs> say that all the time. That's, that's malarkey. Not, you, no, this time I really mean it. And then what happens is that they get too frustrated. Rather than having a response to the situation, they have a reaction. And when we react, that's a lower brain function. That's the primitive part of our brain. I've had it. I'm out of here. Mm. I quit. 
what are you going to do? I don't know. I, you know, I quit. I, I, well, okay. Now you're not doing that anymore. Now what are you doing? Yeah. I don't know. You just jumped out of the frying pan into the bonfire now, but you don't have to do that anymore. That's secure, you know? And so a lot of times what people want is the absence of the pain. They want the absence of the uncertainty. So one of the things that I decided was if I'm going to be asking people to stretch, cause I do, I really ask them to go places they haven't gone before and to think thoughts that they haven't thought before. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to keep myself honest. So I need at least once a year to do something that's going to really excite me and to scare me half out of my mind. That's going to blow me out of my comfort zone. So, you know, I've done things like walk on hot coals, um, you know, and then what happened was, I, because I've been involved in sports, you know, when I finished college and I was done with my wrestling career, you can't do anything with wrestling. It's not like softball. You can't have like a pick of wrestling match. I mean, it yeah. doesn't work that way. There's no intramural wrestling. Yeah. No, there's no intramural yeah. wrestling. You can't go, you can't just go get a group of friends together and say, Hey, you want to have like a wrestling yeah. meeting? That's something else. Yeah. That's something else. Yeah. But what I could do when I was wrestling that, that I could do afterwards is I could run because I had to run um, to lose weight. I mean, I wrestled at, you know, I wrestled at 95 and 103 pounds in, in high school because there were no weight lighter. And it, at the time I wrestled in college, the weight, lightest weight class was 118 pounds. And so that's what I wrestled. But I still had to, I still had to what they call suck weight. I started to lose weight. So I would run. You had to put on sweat clothes and you'd run to lose the weight. So I became a runner. And um, worked my way up to um, like maybe like 10 mile races or something. And in 1985, here's another one of these moments. In 1985, I'm at a friend's house and triathlons had started in the um, 1970s in California. And they had been made famous by the Ironman World Championships in uh, Kona, Hawaii. So that was what most people's understanding of triathlons were, was Ironman, which was just this insanity by these lunatics that would swim 2.4 miles, run 112 miles, and then finish it off with a marathon. Those people would just something wrong with them. So, but I'd watch them because it was like entertaining. It was kind of like a freak show because it's like, well, I don't know. These, these are bizarre humans. And so I met a friend's house and she was a race director for um, a triathlon. And she said, have you ever thought about doing a triathlon? And I said, no, and I never would. And she said, why? And I said, well, because, you know, like, <laughs> you say, no, 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 there's different distances. There are, there, we have what's called an Olympic distance. It's a one mile swim, a 25 mile bike, and then, and then a, um, a, a 10K run, you know? And I said, well, how many days do you have to do that? She said, no, no, you do it all at once. I said, I'll die. She said, you won't die. I said, I'll die. And then she said, she said, can you swim? I'm like, yeah, you know, there's a lifeguard and, and I, I can swim. She said, do you have a bike? I said, yeah, I have like a 30-pound swim in my basement that I never ride. And do you run? I said, yeah, I run. She said, well, you should try. I said, well, I died. So I did it. And I didn't die. And it was really cool. And so I know I didn't have a train or anything. Um, but what happened was after about seven years, they stopped the series and they left town. And there just weren't a lot of races. So I figured, well, that's an interesting part of my little athletic career. I'll go back to running and work my way up to marathon distance. Back, meanwhile, back at the ranch, my, my wife uh, is from up at Albany, New York. And in the summer, her family had a farmhouse outside of Lake Placid, New York, in the Adirondacks. I meet my wife. We go to the, we go up to the house. I fall in love with the Adirondacks. About um, 15, 20 years ago, 
we buy a vacation home up in the Adirondacks outside of Lake Placid. And I want to be part of the community when we're up there. So Iron Man has now expanded and Iron Man has come to Lake Placid. I'm not doing Iron Man, but, but I'm going to volunteer. So one of the things you do when you volunteer is you go in to see the last two hours because it's absolutely incredible. These are people that you see like walking down Main Street. I mean, they don't, I mean, these are every shape and size. And I looked at that and I said, like, like when I was 26, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing this mm. because I don't like to watch. Like, I don't like parades. Like, I don't like to watch. I just, I don't watch. And I'm like, I'm doing this. I have absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Here I go. I decide, this is 2005. Um, I need to get in a little bit of shape. It's a uh, beginning of August, overcast day, not a good beach day. Um, the race itself is um, two 1.2-mile um, rectangles. They call them loops. So I figure I'm going to do a loop because I can swim a mile. I can go do that. Out to the water I go on this overcast day. I'm in the water. It, you know, I'm wet. All of a sudden, I notice I, it's getting wetter, and it's raining. Oh, okay, I'm in the water, wet suit. And then it starts getting really wet, and it's pouring. You can see I'm in the middle of the lake, in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm a water safety instructor. I should know better. I'm out there by myself. <laughs> That's not what you do. But, you know, I'm just out there swimming. No big deal. I look, I, as I stop to look at the rain, I look up, and here comes this really dark cloud coming up over a mountain ahead, coming quickly. I hear thunder. I said, I got to get out right now. This is not good. I look at the end of the lake and I see lightning strike the lake. Mm. I break off my swim to swim to the shore. I hear a second crack of lightning. My right cap knots up and pew, right through the top of my head. I said, you just got hit. Wow. I hit the lake and went through you. Now, what do you do? What, what, what do you do? Um, well, I think I got three choices. Now, I was a water safety instructor, so I would teach people how to be lifeguards. And one of the things I would teach them is when the person that's in trouble panics, you don't panic. N never thinking that the person in trouble that could panic would be me. It's supposed to be somebody else, not me. Yeah. So <laughs> I figure you got like three choices here. Um, I'm a pretty good swimmer, but I can't out swim electricity. I'm not that fast. So I said, okay, you can, you can swim. And I could still swim. My, my calf was sore, but I was still able to swim. So I said, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to swim. I'm going to stop. I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs. I'm going to swim, scream, swim, scream, swim, scream. And one of three things is going to happen. Somebody's going to see me out there and come get me. I'm going to make it to the shore. I'm going to get hit again. And I can't think of anything else. And I really don't have a lot of time because we need to come up with a plan and execute it. Um, as, as luck would have it, there were two girls putting away plastic kayaks. They came out in two-man kayaks. They rescued me. I get out of the water. I haven't even started training, and this is how this whole thing has begun. But I looked at this thing, and I said, what are the lessons here? And, and um, I, have a, I have a presentation I do to organizations and corporations called Iron Lessons, and I talk about the lessons that we can learn from these just particular things that I happen to go to. So the first thing that happens is that change can happen in an instant. So here comes, this, here comes this storm right over the mountain. Here came this pandemic out of nowhere. Here it came, and now we're in the water. So what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you have to come up with a plan. So what do you do right now? You know, your business is stuck. If you're, if you have, depending on where you are, if you, if you have homestay, you can't go out. Um, what do you do? 
What if, you, you know, you can't meet with people, you can't have lunch, you can't, what do you do? How do you basically come up with another idea? So I looked at that and I said, okay, that's one of the lessons. What's another thing I learned? Ask for help. I'm not, I mean, I don't try to get out of this thing by myself. I'm screaming for somebody to come out there and help me. How often do we look at this thing and say, I got it, I figured out, or, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed because my business is doing not that well and I don't want to let anybody know about it. Nobody's going to judge you. You know, um, there, I believe his name is Stephen Furrick. And Stephen Furrick said, you know how they say we're all in the same boat? He said, no, we're not. We're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Some people are doing much better with this than other people. I mean, if uh, if you got stuck in Zoom, you're having a good day. <laughs> I mean, you know, That's right. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> I mean, who... Who would ever, who would ever, that, who would ever think that we would need to worry about lighting and bikes and things like that? I mean, that just wasn't going to be a part. Well, let me, let me, let me kind of connect this a little bit because I, I went back to my comment. I want to go back to my comment that I made about, you know, you're in the classroom and you're like, okay, something needs to change. I need to do something different. Now we're talking about COVID and there are businesses who are totally paralyzed right now. But when you get on the conversation on, what needs to change, it's still that same, maybe, and maybe it's still a reliance on fear. I, I don't know what it is, but I've talked to businesses who, for example, businesses who have totally physical products, physical services, and getting them thinking about digital and what does digital look like. Yes. It's interesting the businesses who say, oh, well, that's, that wouldn't work. We, we couldn't do that. That's, right. that's not a possibility for us. Right. And it's like, okay, you're in the classroom and you either you go do something different that is more in your calling or you sit there and you say, okay, that would never work. I can't do that. It's not going to happen. And you keep, you know, doing the unfulfilling lifestyle that you're doing. And I, it feels like a lot of businesses right now are so risk averse in an environment that is so risky already. Yes. It, it's, I don't know. I mean, what, what's going on with businesses? So, right. So, so when I'm talking to people, I start with the conversation that, where I take away the limitations and I say, okay, if you didn't have limitations or concern, how would you shift? Like, what would you do? What product might you, what might you develop that you don't develop now? Where can you, now for some of you, to your point, it's sort of like, well, if, if you're in like the, the meat industry right now, this is a problem. It's like, no, these people are like close together. So this is what I do. The first thing I say is for everybody that's failed in whatever area they're in, somebody pulled it off. Mm. Somebody, and, and there's always some outlier. There's always somebody that goes left when people go right. There's, there's always people that when the gold rush came in, in, um, in 1849 in California, there was one guy that said, mining for gold. I'm not mining for gold. I'm selling pans. Everybody's got to have a yeah, pan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shovels, right. Or, or that's where Levi Strauss, basically these city slickers came in and they were, they were wearing these, these clothes that they had right to the knee. And he took a canvas tent and cut out the, the original prototype for jeans. Wow. It, looking at that and saying, where is the need? Where, how do I meet a need? How do I solve a problem? Why, why does it feel like we, because here's, here's what is really great about those stories. And it's, it's, there's something about the ingenuity we hear about in business that at the same time feels so simple. Like it feels, it, it feels like sometimes we overcomplicate innovation. We, we make it something that the answer 
the the right answer. It's too simple. It can't be, that can't be the right answer. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, sometimes it feels like when we talk about innovation, it's like the, the person thinks they have to be a rocket scientist when really it's, it's, you know, you give them the simple answer. Well, why don't you just do it this way? And they say, Oh, I, that would never work. I couldn't do that. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's not the right answer. Right. Or what happens is they get to, they get together with a group of experts and what experts have is basically they create a form of like intellectual incense. They begin to yeah. their thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, it's the story of the army Corps of engineers when the 18 wheeler was jammed under the underpass and they're figuring out, are we going to have to blow up the bridge? How do we do that safely? Are we going to have to close off traffic? And a little kid comes by on his bike and says, Hey, mister, why don't you let the air out of the tires? <laughs> to your point so you're, most of the answers are hidden in simplicity that's why they're so difficult to see and there are people that I have that have what I call smart people's disease they can complicate tying their shoe if they had a loafer on I mean <laughs> well, and, and this is how you know you're talking to one they'll say things like well it's not that easy to which I respond well what if it was Yeah. well that's not going to work yeah but what if it did well, we, we have information that proves this. What if it's wrong? I mean, if it, but the main thing I'm able to say is, hey, we know what you're doing and working. So the worst that will happen is this doesn't work either. And why not try it? Because what, so what happens is fear is about the perceived future. It's not, it's not real. I mean, the, the fear. Now, is fear real? Well, yeah, there's a part of a brain that, that I like. It tells me to take my hand off a hot stove. I don't want to walk in a dark alley without it. It's, it's good. But I don't want to try to problem solve with it because it doesn't have the bandwidth for that. It's a very reactive part of the brain. It can't do what's called see around corners. It can't see consequences for actions. It can't innovate. It can't create. It can't imagine. It can't ponder. One of the things that I find when I'm talking to people that, that are running organizations, one of the first questions I ask them is, do you have enough time to ponder? Because mm-hmm. you need time in the course of the day to just think about stuff. You know, I was talking to um, a, um, a, a code writer the other day who writes code for, for computers and, and software, software code. And I said to him, what do you do during the day? He said, well, I don't know if you want me to tell my boss. He said, I spend about 95% of the day thinking. And he said, you know, when you're writing a book, how much time do you spend actually writing? Most of the time you think thinking about what you're going to write about and then the writing itself. So to be able to think and ponder. So part of what happens is that we tend to answer the questions that we get in life. So one of my goals is to just ask a different question. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, what if it did or what if it wasn't, you know, or how do you know that's practical? I mean, well, I don't know anybody that's done it. Well, that doesn't mean nobody's done it. It just means you don't know anybody. You know, you know, I've often said to somebody, you know, if, if you were in, let's say you're in college and you're, and somebody said to you to graduate from college and then get the job of your dreams, you have to figure out what it is you want to do and you have to research it. And then you get the job of your dream. You know, you, 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 people in college research the dumbest papers on the <laughs> stupidest stuff that they'll never read or use again. Like, what if we took those skills? Those skills? I always say to people, you know, take the skill that you think, what, what, like, what's your sweet spot? Like, what's like, what is your magic? You know, what is your, what is your go-to? I'm not the brightest problem in the box, but I'm nervy, man. I will talk to anybody about him. I mean, I contacted you. 
I think this guy's doing interesting <laughs> stuff. I'm like, have you on your show? You're like, sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, mean, you know, I just talked to somebody um, yesterday in Perth, Australia. I'm going to be wow. on her show. I mean, it's sort of like, so like, what does it mean? It's like, I look at people that are interesting people doing interesting things. And I'm like, can I hang out with you? And you said, sure, you can hang out with me. You know, yeah, yeah. a lot of people would be like, nah, you know, I look at who he's, he's on our show. No, I, I couldn't be on a show. And I'm like, I'm like, I bet he's just a really nice regular guy. But do you think like, and, and maybe this is more of like a, um, an entre- like an entrepreneurial question. Mm-hmm. Cause it's less, it's even less about business. It feels like, it feels like sort of the gatekeeping that happens. It's almost like, because like, again, like, I mean, you even just described it yourself. I mean, you said, hey, can I be on your show? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, I, I don't even. So I do these call outs for guests probably maybe every six months. And then I get a bunch of people who come in, they come on the show. And then those get, those get published over like the next six months. And then I say, okay, hey, I need some more people. But whenever I, whenever I do that call out, I just always say, hey, I really don't care if you're, you know, super famous or nobody knows you. If you, if you have, if you're a great storyteller, you, you'd be great to talk to, come on the show. It'd be great. I don't really care. On the flip side though, what's really interesting is I've had people who, uh, I've reached out to and I've been like, Hey, yeah. You know, they'll say like, Hey, I'm looking for guests. And I'll say, Hey, I think I could be a great guest on your show. And they go, and, and it's, it's like the whole philosophy of, well, how many followers do you have? Well, who knows you? Well, what kind of business are you doing? Well, and then, you know, going back to the, what's your credentials. And it's not about even right. podcast guesting. I think, I think we all do this in some form when we think about who we're going to associate with. And, and I don't know if it's just, you know, people, if we're just, we just like to feel more, um, you know, well, I'm at least farther along than this person. So I'm going to gatekeep them in this way, but it feels like there's just a, there's just a different kind of person who you have the person who is doing that kind of gatekeeping. And then someone like yourself where it's like, yeah, I'll talk to you. I'll give you value. I'll give you the time of day. I mean, it's, it's different mentalities and I haven't really put my thumb on what exactly it is. What, this is what I think is going on. There are three, way, three ways that you can market anything, and, it, and it's called best, better, or different. So when somebody markets something as best, because of things like truth in advertising, you know, you got to you just say you're the best without being able to prove it. I don't like better when it comes to personal services because it almost sets you up to slam somebody else. You know, I'm right. better than them. So, but I love different, you know. I go to people and I'm like, look, I've had a business for 40 years. I'm, I'm an endurance athlete. I'm 70 years old. You got one of them hanging around? And they're like, no, no. <laughs> you know, so I'm constantly marketing different. Now, going back to no matter what you are, you're best to be good enough for somebody, not good enough for somebody else. If somebody came to me and they said, well, how many things, how many, whatever, how many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? I would say to them, well, that's an interesting question. So you must have a really good reason for being concerned about that. Help me understand what that is. Mm. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. I, I, I would get curious. I would get curious because when we get curious, we get out of our own heads. Otherwise, we start spinning up there. Well, maybe I'm not this. and Maybe I'm not that. We, we get sort of locked in the maze of our own reality as opposed to saying like, well, first of all, I don't know them. And I've never been on their show. So the worst thing is I'll never be on their show, but there's a bazillion <laughs> podcasts and I'm not going to make most of them in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and then it's kind of like, what's my goal? Well, some will, some won't. So what next? I mean, it's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, on, to the, on to the next one. So it's really saying, you know, I think I've got something that I think might be of interest. If you think people would be of interest, you know, well, what do you do? Why do this and this? 
well, how do you measure yourself? Well, how do you measure people? I'd ask them. Oh, I measure by this. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me, tell me how you came about that measurement. Well, I think if they do this, they do that. You know, for example, if you try to get a book published right now and you go to an agent and you tell them you have 150 people on LinkedIn, they're like, I don't care. I want to know how many emails you have because those mm-hmm. people don't know you. You know, mm-hmm. everybody on LinkedIn has an international following. Everyone on the yeah. planet. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. somebody in Thailand is my friend, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. Do you, what do you, and when, what, and when you, you and your friend hang out in Thailand, like, what do you do? Hey, man, my, my podcast <laughs> is shamelessly international. International? Oh, man, I'm going to have an there, international man. audience. This yeah, awesome. you're, you're on an international podcast. <laughs> All right, man. I'm, I'm my, my one guest from, you know, India or wherever. So, <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so, the bottom line is you look at this and you say, you say to the individual, you say to yourself, and you say to the organization, first of all, like, we're still us, like you're still you, like all the things that you thought were valuable, they didn't go away. Here's the big difference, and here's how I relate this to, um, to my sport. If I decide, you know, to, to go out today and go on a three or four hour bike ride, I am consciously choosing, choosing to stress my system. I'm choosing stress. I'm voluntarily creating stress. What happens is I create the stress, then I adapt to the stress. My body adapts to stress. It creates, it increases its aerobic capacity, and then I recover. And then I go back again, a stress adaptation recovery. This is what's happened now, except the stress wasn't invited. So COVID came in and it stressed people out. And people talk about the new normal. This is like the new normal. There have been a billion new normals. Like, you know, you have a baby. That's a new normal. You get married. That's a new normal. You start a new career. That's a new normal. Here's the big difference. Every one of those things that I just mentioned, there's somebody you could go to to talk to about it and say, like, what do I do about this? We have no adults alive from the 1918 pandemic. So we're on our our own with this one. So we just don't know where to go. So what I do is I say to people, no, you don't have a model about what to do with the stress and the challenge from this. But tell me an area of, of your life where you have been successful overcoming, and I don't even care what it is. I mean, I don't care. I'm not interested, but it, that's not the point. So I have a client having a hard time confronting somebody and needed my help on how to be able to talk to this person because it really makes anxiety. Tell me something in where you've been successful. He's lost 150 pounds and kept it off for two years. Jeez. I said, tell me what you did. So we get into focus, belief, confidence. Confidence is nothing more than the conversation we have with ourselves about what we perceive as doable and possible. It's an editorial. Everybody's confidence slips from time to time. Like confidence is walking on ice a quarter inch thick. Everybody falls through. That's not the issue. How quickly do you get out of the ice and back out of the water and back onto the ice? That's quickly. How fast do you recover it? How quickly can you change this self dialogue? You know, that too will pass. You know, some will, some won't. So what? Um, You know, what do it matter when I'm 95 years old? I mean, you know, I say to people, tell me one year ago today, what you were worried about at this moment. I don't know. Why would I, unless it was something spectacular. I don't know. Okay, that's not a fair question. What about a month ago? I don't know. How about last week? A week ago today? I don't know. What about yesterday? I don't know. Mm. I mean, you're going to forget more than 24 hours. Why are you dwelling on it? If it's important enough to worry about, worry is actually misunderstood. Worry is our friend. Worry is a smoke detector. Worry is an indicator that something needs to be attended to. What? The thing we're worried about. 
So I'm worried that we're not going to be able to keep people employed. I'm worried that we're not going to be able to, nobody's going to want our product line right now. Okay, so what have you done to get all hands on deck and to get people to gang up on this problem? Under stress, human beings gang up on each other, not the problem. This is, this is getting people to shift and say, okay, have you presented this problem to the an, an entire organization and said, look, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. I have a client. They've done a spectacular job. They repair um, restaurant equipment. Mm, not a lot of restaurants right now. But people are doing takeout. Mm-hmm. And hospitals still have eating facilities. And grocery stores still have refrigeration units and things like that. Um, and so right away they said, you know, overtime, regular fee, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're here. Shifted. Now, what did they do? Well, they got all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. They, they got, you know, it, it's kind of like when GM built the Saturn. Remember that car, the Saturn? Yeah. So they had an interesting idea. They said, I've got an idea. Why don't we have the people that build the car talk about how to build the car? Because <laughs> we sit there and watch them build the car. They actually like build the car. Maybe they would know how to build a car. They came with like amazing kinds of, of time and money saving techniques to be able to build a car. Because they build a car. So I'd be going to everybody in the organization and I'd be saying, okay, and that's the first question I ask. Have you asked all the stakeholders what they think? Well, no, they wouldn't know. Well, how do you know what they wouldn't know? I Mm -hmm. I mean, do they share? Yeah, and that's that's kind of where ego gets into place too, where it's like, oh, that's above their pay grade, or well, you know, it's my job to make those decisions and you know, we kind of get we get, we kind of get a big head about it. Yeah. And when people do that, I say to them, this is extraordinary. And they say, what? I say, you have the gift. They say, what gift? I said, telepathy. This is incredible. Yeah. You can read minds. Why are you doing this? You can be a bajillionaire. But, but, and then, because, you know, we, people have this feeling that they, they read minds. Like they'll say things like, I know they couldn't do that. How do you know that? Because you know. Yeah, yeah. Or no, I know, no, no. or I know what they meant by that. You know, they said, oh, yeah, they right. Like, well, because you're in you their know. mind thinking their thoughts. And yeah, I don't, yeah. I'll tell people, I'll, I'll say to people, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm in my own head all day. I don't know what's going on half the time up there. I don't have a clue what's going on in anybody else's mind. I have to do, to your point, the simple thing I need to ask. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when we're making these assumptions and we're coming up with these conclusions just out of whole cloth. Um, th- those, those are reactive kinds of functions. That's lower brain. If you want to turn off your lower brain and turn on your high powered upper brain, all you have to do is get curious. It shuts one side off and turns the other side on. It's, it's great. And all you have to do is ask a question. So I'm kind of curious. So have you thought about a way we might do this more efficiently? Or what if I put you in some groups and I want to be able to see, see what you can come up with? You know, in the arena of ideas, they're just ideas. Mm-hmm. They're just an idea. And, and and again, I go back to people and say, well, what we're doing right now ain't working. So why don't we try something else? I mean, why not? I mean, you know, um, you know, um, and so it's basically saying, looking at this thing and saying, um, what is the opportunity here? It's an opportunity to reinvent yourself. To, mm-hmm. to be able to, I mean, you know, Apple, Apple, when it was called Apple Computer, at one time was trading at $7 a share. When Stephen Jobs went back to Apple, the problem he found out they had is they didn't think they were cool anymore. They used to fly the Jolly Roger, the skull and crossbone, when they first started that company. And he went back. They didn't invent anything. 
Mm. They, they, they didn't they didn't invent an MP3. They just branded it as an iPod. Mm-hmm. And, and then what they came up with was was one application. They certainly didn't invent a phone. Mm-hmm. What they invented was an association. Because if you think about you know when I when I'm when I'm um, when I'm, I'm teaching groups the whole concept of, of customer service, one of the things I'll talk to them about is customer service is a feeling that you get. Like I felt attended to. I felt like they cared about me. I felt really mattered. Or poor customer service. I felt they didn't care about me. I felt like it was just a number. I, you know, I felt like they didn't want to help me. And so he basically came in and said, you know, when, you know, when you, when you look at this name, how many people get excited because they got a new Dell? I got a new HP. Well, come see my HP. I mean, they created a couple. <laughs> Who stands in line for six hours to get a phone you can go buy online the next day? Right. The new iPhone is out. You got, you got yeah, to yeah. go. It's those raving fans, man. Exactly, man. You get these raving fans. And what do they have? They have this association. So you look at people and you say, they're worried about what their customers or clients are associating them with. The question I asked them is, how are you thinking about yourselves right now? Are you having basically a group inferiority complex like Apple did when Steve came back? And so we got to fix that right away. Or other ways, you begin to spiral down. And there's certainly enough bad news to gag a horse. Yeah, yeah. You can terrify yourself. Just spend a couple hours and you can flip out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, you know, it's... Your your level of worry, I think, is only as useful as the actions that come out of it. I mean, if you're just spinning your wheels, thinking about the stuff, yeah, it's like man. you said, there's no shortage of it. It's got to lead to something actionable, meaningful, uh, and what have you. Uh, Michael, I, I hate to say it. We are out of time. We, we're just rolling right along, man. This has been good. Hey, tell the audience, people listening, how they can stay in touch with you, how you'd like them to follow up with you. What does that look like? So, so I, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, Michael Bryant, CTS Consulting. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can go to my website, um, go the number two, the initial CTS. Go to CTSonline.com or email me at mb three one two six at gmail.com and, and love to love to hear from people. Michael, thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This was, this was fantastic. So much fun talking to you. <laughs> Glad to hear it. For our listeners, I will put some of those links in the episode description. Hey, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you can continue to get some great advice from the podcast and for our awesome guests like Michael who tuned in today. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, which why the heck wouldn't you have, definitely give us a five-star review. Hey, that's all we got for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Here's your good advice. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.